Hello and welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Zatella Esquire, Mike Leno, and Evan Ginsberg. Do you want to introduce our very special guest for tonight, Mike Leno? Yes, we will. And uh, Evan and I are doing uh, the ultimate book. It, it may, well, we're hoping it's going to be one of the greatest books of, on wrestling ever, but on John the Golden Greek Tolis. Uh, very honored to have his son, Chris Tolis, with us. So I'm going to start, unusually, by throwing right to Evan. Ev? In New York City or Long Island, but these he, he was in New York City last night at uh, where were you? You were at the major concert at uh, I was, 30 I was at Radio City Music Hall to see the swell season from the movie Once, which is a beautiful uh, movie about street musicians in Europe. And uh, they won the Oscar in 2008 for um, best song and beautiful music, beautiful wow. blue eyed soul. Anyway, we are honored to have Chris on board. And um, let me just share this before I toss out any questions. Um, when I was a kid, uh, my father was a New York City taxi driver. And he worked six days a week, 14 hours a day. And um, I did not see a lot of him, unfortunately. But among my fondest childhood memories, and he died when I was 20, was we would sit and watch the L.A. wrestling in New York on the Spanish network. And my father loved John Tolis. He he just found him so amusing. You know, the, the promos and the insults and, you know, heel John Tolis. So I have these great memories of sitting with my father watching Chris's father. And uh, then we went to Madison Square Garden to see John Tolis against Bruno, which was, which was such a thrill for me as a kid to experience this. And, uh, and many, many years later, as a quote unquote wrestling journalist, I was backstage at Herb Abrams UWF and I interviewed um, John Tolis for the, um, for my old newsletter and he was just so gracious and warm and it was just a great experience meeting him and um so i've always just had this you know sense of awe as far as john tolis and many 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 years later we're doing this book and every wrestler and his mother seems to have a book here's somebody that deserves a book okay and Chris, I know that's a long-winded <laughs> introduction or whatnot, but my, my question would be, what was it like to have a celebrity father who, you know, sometimes was on the road and away? I could see it possibly being a mixed blessing. What, what was it like? Well, well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me here, you guys, and for all the great kind words about my dad. I really appreciate that a bunch. Uh, life was definitely interesting, but you know what? Uh, we tried to make it as normal as possible. Obviously, there were a few bumps in the road and all, but uh, things were pretty good. Obviously, it was hard. He was on the road a lot. You know, who knows, 250 days a year, 300 days a year, but he tried to get home for birthdays and definitely for Christmas. And of course, I'd get spoiled. <laughs> Perhaps there was a little guilt there. Uh, so that was the good side. But in reality, you know, he was he was just dad. And uh, 
a lot of times if we were out and strangers would approach him, he would always deny that he was John Tolis. Wow. So, wow. Uh, yeah. He just, well, obviously he had a, a wrestling character that was uh, definitely more the villain style. So he never wanted to uh, make anything uncomfortable for myself or for my mom. I mean, I, I still remember he was so disliked in the wrestling world that uh, even a couple of my teachers, I remember one teacher in particular used to give me a hard time when he found out that he was my father. Wow. Okay. wow. Yeah, he gave me a very difficult time telling me, oh, your dad's a phony and this and that. And I didn't know, you know, back in the day, wrestling was a close guarded secret of whether it was real or whether it was fake. So when I was a kid, I only knew it as real. That's mm. that's what it was. My dad didn't tell me any differently. So I remember coming home crying one day to my mom and saying, you know, Mr. So-and-so was mean to me and he talked bad about dad or whatever. And my dad caught wind of it. And my mom was basically just holding him back by his belt because he wanted to go have a little conversation with that teacher. <laughs> So in that sense, it was a little different growing up. But uh, in general, you know, at home, he was dad, you know, he barbecued, we'd play by the pool, he put me on his shoulders, take me to the park. Uh, he helped coach my little league teams. Wow. Uh, it was uh, as normal of a childhood as you can get. A mutual friend of ours, Mickey Doyle, talks about the coaching and uh he, he, he just loved your dad. Any memories of Mickey Doyle in your Well, Mickey Doyle was a wrestler. Let me clarify. Mickey Doyle was a wrestler. He came into our territory for X amount of months in 1975 and um, really took, I mean, he knew, he, he's like a historian fan turned wrestler. And so he was in awe of your dad. But Evan was telling me that Mickey uh, said that he coached softball. So let me shut up. Does that name, does, do you recognize the name Mickey Doyle? He lived, actually. I, I, uh, I believe his son, Brett, uh, played on one of my teams or was in the same uh, uh, league or division. I can't remember, but I think we were even on the same team, perhaps. Uh, but I just can't remember. But I do remember uh, the name Mickey Doyle, sure. I had a, I had a question. <laughs> Did your dad ever tell you that he would like to see you try wrestling or do something in in the wrestling business i you know when i turned 18 i graduated high school and i hit the gym and my goal was actually to follow into his footsteps and uh, uh he was very excited but you could imagine how excited my mom was <laughs> not so so you know i bulked myself up i'm six foot five so i bulked myself up to about 235 240 would work out in the gym and then we'd practice wrestling on the mats uh but it just got to the point where i just knew it wasn't uh it wasn't really for me i just didn't have that love or that passion for it but i will say it was fun you know we uh, we belonged to a gym and once in a while we would go at it in the middle of the gym and you would just hear people screaming and trying to break us apart and i mean screams to call the police it was it was funny sometimes it really was funny and did he ever actually take you to the matches as a kid uh i would go occasionally uh, because obviously the character he played uh he felt a little uh I'd say uncomfortable. He didn't know safety-wise 
because at the time when he was still at the top of his level more there in the 70s, I was a young kid. So he didn't want people to know who I was. So mm. he didn't take me too often. And when he did, I usually hung out uh, in the dressing rooms. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what was your reaction when, as a kid, you met some of these legendary wrestlers? They must have been larger than life, I would think. It, it was very cool. Uh, of course, I really got into wrestling more like the Hulk Hogan era. So my dad was pretty much at the end of his career and retired, but he used to take me to the sports arena uh, to go see uh, the wrestling matches. And even at the Olympic Auditorium at the beginning, and uh, I just loved it. I mean, I was meeting all my heroes and they would tell me nice things about my dad. And it was it was kind of cool. I was on the top of the world and I would bring friends from school. And oh, my gosh, my popularity just zoomed up to the top. Yeah. Chris, who do you remember meeting? And I'll throw back to Evan. Do you, who do you remember meeting at that period? Was it like Hogan, Brutus Beefcake, Greg Valentine, Randy Savage, names like that? Or yeah, that was that was pretty much my uh, my era there. Uh, I remember my my favorite story actually. There was a wrestler named Kamala, right? And he was the Ugandan giant, and the, his the whole gimmick was he didn't speak English, and he had a manager. I can't. I think his name was Friday or something. So I was in the locker room, and I wanted to meet Kamala. So my dad at that time didn't let me know that it was real or fake, but I had my suspicions. So he wanted to introduce me to Kamala. So uh, Kamala came over to introduce himself. And then my dad kind of jumped in and talked to his <laughs> friends later and said, could you please introduce my son to Kamala in his language? And I'll never forget the manager translator was just trying to, to make up some weird language. Gaga, son, John Tolis. It was the thing before the guy reached out and shook my hand. But there were some funny stories for sure. Chris, let me just quickly say, uh, Evan and I interviewed Kamala a couple of times, and the very first time he broke kayfabe and spoke was on our show, but he also sang on that show. First time he ever sang anywhere on the planet. His real name was James Harris. I'd known him for, you know, well before he became the Kamala character, but we lost him to diabetes. Wonderful guy about a year or so ago. Beautiful person. We loved him, Evan and I. Uh, we brought him to, uh, I don't know if we brought him to this show with Russ, but Ev, let me make sure you're you're done before I interrupt again. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Uh, Kamala, Kamala was also an R&B singer, believe it or not. Yeah. I had no idea. Sugar Bear Harris. That's his, you know, his first wrestling name when he started. Interesting. I'll tell you another wrestler that I really enjoyed meeting, and this is when I was training with my dad, was George the Animal Steel. Wow. And I was talking to him and telling him I wanted to become a wrestler, and he took me aside and basically said, uh-uh, this is not the lifestyle for anybody. Don't do it. So I never forgot that, actually. I never forgot that, his advice. While we're on Evan's question, can you think of anyone else you talked to or have other stories? Oh, like? my gosh. There was the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. And, well, and Iron Sheik, we just lost about five weeks ago, five, six yes. weeks, you know, something like that. He just died. Khosrow Vasari. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Did, was he was, was, was a he, close friend of Evan's. Yeah. And Nik Nikolai's gone, too. You know, it... It was a rough, rough road for these guys, and your dad included, because 
as you said earlier, these guys were wrestling 300 plus days a year, um, you know, and it's it, it takes its toll. So um, how did your mom feel about, you know, your dad being on the road so much and, um, you know, it's not it's not easy for a wife or a kid or, you know, it's, it's a tough it's a tough life. It, it's true. I mean, my mom basically was a, a single mom in some respects, you know, because my dad, my dad wasn't there. He was just on the road so much. So it definitely, it was hard. And I, I think it definitely takes its toll. And, and obviously their marriage ended in divorce. Uh, but uh, I definitely think it's hard on everybody. You know, it's hard not being near your family. It's hard, you know, when your family's not with you. It's just a, a hard situation, and it's it's funny because there's shows on TV like The Rock. Or there was a movie called The Wrestler a long time ago, or not too long. Yeah, ago. we know someone who was involved in in that in that one. Yeah, I was, was yeah. I was the I was the associate producer on that film. Awesome, but I remember going with some friends, and they were like, "Oh, the phony, phony." I'm like, "No, you don't get it. That's that's what it's like for a lot of these guys. A lot of them." You know, they, there's just so few that actually make it to that level. Uh, Chris, do you have any uh, brothers or sisters? I do have a half sister, actually, and, uh, and she has a daughter. Okay, and what was what was her rea- reaction? Do you think it was similar to the feelings that you had, or, or maybe not because of the? In in uh, t- to be honest with you, I probably met her when I was. Oh, I was probably in my mid thirties. So she came was, out. She was well, she was like from New England or the Boston area. She came out yeah. to the the funeral. You were kind enough to ask me to be a pallbearer at your dad's uh, funeral, but that's the first time we saw her. We kind of gasped. You know, yeah. she looked like a fashion model, Chris. <laughs> she's she's a wonderful woman, and she's got a beautiful daughter too. And she's happily married, so uh, wishing the best. But uh, in terms of growing up, by the time I met her, uh, I was already an adult, and she's older than me, actually. Oh, she'll probably kill me for saying that, but uh, but you're you're pretty much an only child then, for the yes. most part. Yeah, yeah, I was raised an only child. Okay. Let me ask Chris on Evan's question: Did your dad have wrestlers come to the house, or did uh, Ingrid not? It was not <laughs> cool to bring some of those wild men to the the home. We we did have a few. I you know the the ones that stick in my head that I knew were uh, Freddie Blassie would come to the house, and then there was a referee, Red Shoes Dugan, Johnny Dugan, who would yeah. come to the house. Uh, I remember Andre the Giant uh, came to the house. I remember actually getting picked up. I think I was in kindergarten, and my dad came to pick me up, and Andre the Giant was in the car. And I remember the seat was all the way back because there was no way he could really fit in the car. But I remember he he came to the house and I remember getting all my friends in the neighborhood screaming, the Giants at the house, the Giants at the house. Wow. Wow. That's pretty major because that would be before Andre, all that stuff with Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yeah. So that was way before that. Uh, Can you think of any others? Or how about when your dad and Freddie were at, at your place and they could let their hair down? What was that relationship because they were like the best of pals, but then they would go and Freddie with some help from your dad became the, the biggest baby face beloved where people would cry when he'd wrestle your dad and Fred would be on uh, defense. 
and your dad was our lead heel, you know, mega heel, the 1971 angle uh, for pretty much most of the year led to the or whole year before that led to the August 1971 outdoor L.A. Coliseum, where they as the main event, uh, John versus Fred with Fred trying to get his revenge on uh, the Golden Greek. Uh, blew away and outdrew all of the previous record holder, Lou Thez, the god of wrestling, his California gates and his California attendance with just that L.A. Coliseum near 29,000 people, whatever the legit figure was, but it was uh, well over 28,300, uh, give or take. Uh, and it was on closed circuit all over the city. Did your dad talk about that? Because Fred ended up quitting the promotion because he felt promoter Mike LaBelle, Eileen Eaton's son, stiffed both he and John on their paydays that they were owed from the closed circuit, which was the first, you know, only boxing was doing that. And it was only in its infant stage with Muhammad Ali fights. But they were all over Southern California and as far as like Fresno, San Jose with a closed circuit of that. But, uh, but then uh, please answer if you can recall him talking about that and then how he and Freddie were at your home, you know, together. Right. Well, obviously during that whole time, I was basically still in a crib. So I don't, in, the, in that sense, I don't remember. By the time I remember my dad hanging out with Fred, you know, their feud was over and uh, they were definitely a little bit older. But, you know, he'd, he'd come to the house and they'd barbecue and drink beer and just talk about old times and He'd have his wife. My mom would be there. Uh, we met him once in Palm Springs, I remember, at another friend's house. Uh, gosh, but it was just kind of like normal, just conversation. They were just guys from what I remember. But uh, I do remember in the talking about the issue with the closed circuit TV. I do remember my dad mentioning that even as he got older, if we were talking about a big pay-per-view event or whatever, it would come up and he'd say, you know, I started that at the Coliseum with closed circuit TV and we got screwed. And so I, I think that, uh, that, that always bothered him. I think, I think that bothered him. That he what puts- about his relationship with, with Mike LaBelle? Because when John started in LA, it was actually, our booker, our genius booker who retired in 74, Jewel Strongbow, but he was actually the promoter when your your dad first came to LA in the 50s. And um, they had quite the great rapport. I mean, Jewel Strongbow was the one that did the storyline writing, the quote unquote matchmaking, but it was basically, he was the script writer for all of the angle, uh, John throwing the powder, the blinding uh, Dr. Bernhard Schwartz, uh, it's the cut, powder to cut to stop the bleeding of, of boxers because Bernard Schwartz was the ringside doctor for wrestling and boxing the whole you know the labels owned all of that in Los Angeles and uh, uh, it was like January February we'll ch- have the dates perfect for the book but John Fred's getting wrestler of the year most popular wrestler of the year award your dad goes berserk goes into Bernard Schwartz medical bag throws the, this is at the KCOP channel 13 when we still had that. That was not the TV that anybody outside of Southern Cal saw. Instead, it was our second weekly TV, the Hispanic show from the Olympic on Wednesdays that was beamed back to Hispanic cities around the country, like New York, Boston, Tampa, Miami, of course, parts of Chicago. But, uh, 
and so Jules, so did, did you remember Jules Strongo perhaps ever coming to the house or, you know, because Fred and John had one of the longest feuds in wrestling and they had their last match like in 81 in the, what was renamed the Blassie Cage. It was basically uh, the cage that uh, Fred and John had worked in, but it was a tag match with an NFL player, Walter Johnson, and then the uh, I think it was uh, Victor Rivera teaming with your dad as the bad guys and Freddie and, and this green football player. Uh, so Fred would also come, he, he would at least drop into LA about once a year, either he was on his way to New Japan for Inoki in, in Japan to manage or, you know, he had family still, he and his wife Mayoko, who he met while a wrestler in Japan. Uh, that's the the wife that he brought to you, the Japanese American lady, correct? Yes. Yeah, yes. Miyoko, very sweet lady. Uh, uh, Ev, let me throw back. Okay, um, Chris, any memories of of your uncle? Your uh, that you were named after? <laughs> uh, uh, not wrestling. Uh, just more personal, going to Canada and and hanging out with my dad and uncle, and kind of. I always thought I could maybe take my uncle, especially when I was getting beefed up and, you know, 18, I was ready to go. I thought I was strong. And I remember I, I put him in a full Nelson. I came up behind him and put him in a full Nelson and thought I'd take him. And he broke that so fast. <laughs> I mean, he was, he had an amazing physique, even in his seventies. I mean, he was running like five, 10 miles a day working out. I mean, he, Ripped abs. I've never seen ripped abs in somebody 70 years old. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. But uh, it, it wasn't really talking about wrestling then. You know, he had a, an amazing garden. He had an amazing green thumb, a phenomenal cook. He uh, had two cookbooks. I've got one of them. Did he have two cookbooks? I didn't even yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. Did your, uh, did, did your dad ever um, talk about what territories he liked the most? Uh, which ones you like to work the most? No, but I, I'll tell you, I enjoyed it when he worked the Hawaii territory because we got to go move to Hawaii. <laughs> so, so I can tell you that one I enjoyed. <laughs> Where did you live in Hawaii? Uh, we lived uh, in Oahu. In, uh, okay. We were in Waikiki at the Ambassador Hotel Apartments, I think. They just had to go through that senseless fire tragedy, unfortunately. I, I was over there because your dad had periodically gone there, as Fred did, for promoter Ed Francis, along with Lord Blears, was the co-booker and the guy that helped and did all the TV for Hawaii. But your dad would do, you know, periodic, but then he became a regular. And we're trying to get Steve Strong uh, on the show to talk about your dad. But he and Billy Graham came in, and then Steve ended up feuding with your dad and teaming with him, winning the tag titles. But your dad was there pretty much, so that's when you were there, like 77, 78, right? Yeah, I was going to say it's the late 70s we were there, yeah. What what title do you think meant the most to your father? What what title reign meant the most to him? I, ooh, that's a good one. I, you know, I, I think it wasn't even so much about the titles because he knew he was going to be, like, given the title only to lose it, you know, just to kind of bring on the heat and then then give it up. So there's nothing I can remember. I remember in Hawaii, and I can't remember what belt it was. I have a little picture as a little kid with his wrestling boots on and his belt around my waist, but I, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, but I'm going to guess most 
probably is the tag team titles with his brother. I'm going to say those were probably most memorable to him. Because they won them everywhere. Did you, they ever talk about the places? Because until your dad turned babyface good guy in late 1971, I'll get to that in a bit, and your dad was mega over, mega over when he turned babyface. And they had one last run where Chris came in to team with him out of the blue and to, to feud with guys like Killer Kowalski, who Evan and I knew very well, Superstar Graham, who was debuting his tie-dye look for the very first time, the psychedelic look with your dad, a feud with your dad, all in that year, and then Ernie Ladd, uh, et cetera. But you're, you're, the Tolis Brothers team one last time for a good long run of about four to five months in Los Angeles. And Chris, super knowledgeable, everyone I've talked to, super sharp in the stock market and investing in Canadian stocks, bonds, etc. But when he was doing his promos, he acted like a, a dimwit jock, which was like 180 degrees from who he was. And he would like intentionally mispronounce, like he couldn't pronounce Kenji Shibuya's name. So for months he kept calling him Shibui <laughs> and they would piss off and then he'd screw up Killer Kowalski's name. Sometimes he'd call him Vladek or Walter, you know, just to, people didn't know what was going on, but that was like a a practical joke for anybody to do Walter was Kowalski's real name and he'd call Billy Graham a pansy but so when I say that kind of stuff does that kind of jive with like Chris Senior as I call him was a super intelligent guy uh big hard a lot of different th things about him but um uh I think your dad had more fun you know, one last time with Chris because they ruled the tag team division all over the U.S. and Canada in the 50s and 60s as bad guys. This is both the, the very first time either one of them were babyface good guys, 1972, basically, for that big long run. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, was there a question or I, I didn't know if it was. Well, the question, the question was, was uh, like, we're all Chris, this, this, oh, sorry, go ahead. The, the question was basically, um, did they talk about teaming one last time, but as good guys and, and winning the hearts of all the fans who, you know, normally would have like thrown uh, rocks or cups of Pepsi <laughs> or beer at them. Instead, they were they blew the lid off the place. They had an hour, legit hour match with Kenji Shibuya and, and Killer Kowalski as the main event tag match. And we normally didn't have tag matches as the main events. And the place, the lid blew off the place. No pyro, no girls, no entrance music. It was just John and Chris Tolis. They were over like a million bucks. Yeah. Uh, if, if they did, they, they never included me in the conversation. You know, as, as they got older, they would talk about their wrestling days a little bit. But uh, not too much. It was more just kind of, you know, brotherly stuff. Being brothers growing up, their parents, life, that type of thing. It wasn't always all about wrestling. You know, I guess they had their wrestling life, but then after their wrestling life, you know, they were just, they were just people. He was my uncle and my dad was my dad. And that was it. I didn't, when, I didn't, when you guys would go up to Hamilton, I, I guess, was it, what we were told was that Chris, you know, that was the one big last run. Now, Chris would still do uh, lower, you know, uh, tier matches kind of helping fill in at Maple Leaf Gardens, you know, nearby shows around. But we had heard Chris kind of was 
semi-retired, A, because he made a lot of money with stocks, and B, to take care of your aunt. Now, I have MS. My mom and two uncles had it. But was to your recollection, was your, your aunt, their sister, was she like, we were told they were wheel, she was wheelchair bound and Chris was primary caretaker and also taking care of their mother. He did, he did go home, yes, to take care of his sister and his mom. That he did. And well, he, he was loyal. He was extremely, extremely loyal. I mean, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable what he did. Unbelievable. And John, John would like take periodic breaks whenever he'd get pissed off at promoter Mike LaBelle, like on a payday or whatever. But he would always tell me, hey, I'm going, you know, to visit Chris and my sister. I'm going to do some spot shows like in Vancouver to see his friends, Don Leo, Jonathan and Gene Kaniski were running the promotion with Sander Kovacs. He would definitely go to Houston a lot where he'd be, you know, he'd just come in off the street and he was in the main events with his best friend who was playing the good guy to John's heel in Red Bastine. And John was very close to promoter Paul Bosch in Houston, which is an amazing, huge territory. And then Johnny Valentine, another friend of John and Chris's since their early 50s. Did he tell you about, uh, you know, because he'd be gone but in the 70s, but that's where he, I don't know if he talked about going to Kansas City, Vancouver, Houston, Dallas to, you know, do some spots at the same time, either before or after he'd go to, to uh, Ontario to, to visit Chris. And, and what was your aunt's name, if you can tell us? Uh, Mary, she, she's still alive. Oh, really? Yeah, she's still wow. alive. Doing well. Wow. Uh, you know, the, the only thing I, I really remember from the 70s was Vancouver, because many times uh, my mom's side of the family, she had a lot of family in Vancouver. So I would usually hit the ride and fly up with my dad. And uh, so I'd stay with the relatives while he wrestled. And then he'd either go somewhere else or he'd fly back with me. But but that's the extent of what I knew was going on there in Vancouver, Kansas City, Houston. I didn't know that much because, again, I was I was very young. Very, very young. Remember, I was running their fan clubs, so he would feed me this stuff or mail me results and clippings. Let me just ask before I throw back to Evan and Russ, how did your parents meet? And, and was your mom in Vancouver? Was she originally from there before coming to L.A.? Uh, my mom was actually from uh, Germany, and then she immigrated to uh, Canada. And from what I remember, I believe they met in Vancouver. Wow. And I believe they got married in Vancouver, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So, Chris, I would like to ask you, do you, who do you think your dad's favorite opponents in the ring were? Uh, well, he always spoke highly of Fred. I mean, really spoke highly of Fred. But he, he always loved... Classy, I, I'm assuming, right? Yes, classy. Yeah. He always spoke of... Uh, oh, gosh... Well, I know he was close friends with Vic Christie. I don't know if they ever wrestled, but that was... Your dad took one... I should throw this in, uh, because your dad, when Vic and Ted Christie were guys that kind of helped John and Chris, but particularly John in L.A., like 52, 53, whatever the year was. And then when they were both... They were much older, and your dad took care of them in the nursing home. He and Jean LaBelle would go to uh, visit them, and Lord James Blears quite a bit whenever John was in Hawaii, but particularly Vic Christie, who was a gentle rib artist, not mean ribs, practical jokes. Your yes. dad took care of him like a, a dad or a, a grandfather. Yeah, oh, he, uh, they'd always, uh, gosh, at the time I remember, I was working in a fish restaurant 
and Christy was staying in a motion picture hospital, which was probably a few blocks from our house at the time. And my dad would pick them up and they would come to that fish restaurant and they'd have the entire staff and all the guests just roaring in laughter. I mean, two of them were were crazy. They were the two that, you know, the managers would finally come up to me and be like, Chris, you have to ask your dad to leave now. <laughs> because the movie Stars Home was like, I think it was like in Woodland Hills. Your dad loved that area. I also lived there in the 60s, but your dad loved Woodland Hills. Another uh, legendary wrestler was a ton of TV, the Jack Benny show and stuff, 50s, 60s. Count Billy Varga, as well as Baron Michelle Leone. Your dad looked in on them and uh, in their last years. You know, it was really a sweet side of your dad. You know, your dad, rough, tough, yelling, screaming. Then the second name that came to him is the maniac, John Tolis, in 1973 against Victor Rivera, but then to see this sweet side of him going and constantly visiting and brightening their day and, and giving them the will to keep on, you know, living when they were really ill, it was something to see. Oh, it was, it was, you know, even at his funeral, you know, the wrestlers that showed up, you know, nobody had anything bad to say. I've never heard any wrestler actually say anything bad, at least that I've overheard. I'm sure there's something out there somewhere, but in terms of just talking to me, everybody always just, you know, had the, the most wonderful and kind thing to say. I mean, I remember going to Baron Leone. He had a pizza place uh, somewhere close to LAX in that area or Imperial Highway or whatever. And I remember going there and give me rolls of quarters to play the arcade games and they would all sit in the back. There was usually a group of wrestlers and they would have pizza and have a good time for a few hours. And that's the guy who John against Blassie in August of 71 beat the gate and attendance record was Lou Thez, world title versus world title, and I forget the year, in the 50s, against Baron Michelle Leone, who was amazing. Evan, I better throw to you. So, uh, Chris, you, your, your dad headlined Madison Square Garden three times, the Tolis brothers twice, and also, as I said earlier, Bruno um, against your dad. Um, then the huge match with uh, Freddie Blassie, uh, 27 or so thousand people. Um, but when it was all said and done, like so many wrestlers, um, you know, there were nine to fives. What kind of adjustment was that, you know, after the fact? After retired, you mean? Or going yes, to yes. yes. I, I think with anybody, it's, it's a tough life because... Uh, Wow, it's it's just a different lifestyle. All of a sudden, you're you're kind of home, so you have to readjust to being home, which can be an adjustment sometimes, especially when you're not used to being there and to actually getting a job. I mean, my dad went to work for uh, NBC for a little while after retiring. Right. I know that took a little adjustment. You know, all of a sudden you're on a schedule. You know, you're you're commuting at seven in the morning and you're coming home at five. Well, he wouldn't come home at five. He'd go directly to the gym because he was definitely just an athlete all his life, <laughs> all his life. So I I would bring up the the one elephant in the room topic. Even though everyone does have something nice to say about your your father. He did get stuck with a really bad gimmick towards the end of his career. Well, let, let me let me clarify that because we're doing this for the book. He he told me that uh, the, the the biggest guy that got him the, the job as the coach, which is kind of because your dad 
always, you know, was talking about amateur and collegiate football. So that was his gimmick in WWF. He said Fred Blassie recommended him highly, got him the gig, but your dad said it, it didn't work out because he was more of an extemporaneous speaker who just would create magic on his own. Instead there, he either had off a teleprompter, as we bitched about on the show, or memorized dialogue. He just, that wasn't him. What did he tell you about that period when he was the coach managing first, I think, the Beverly Brothers and then Kurt Hennig? Why that was short-lived? Because we were really hoping that would have happened because you had like three of the greatest talker at four, Piper, Ric Flair, your dad, and Freddie Blassie all there at once. Uh, what did you, what your dad say about that that time? Basically, it was hard for him because, you know, they took his gift of gab away and they stuck a whistle in his mouth and all he was allowed to do was blow this whistle and, and that wasn't him. And they didn't want him to, like when he was with Herb Abrams, you know, he'd kind of get involved in the matches a little bit. You know, I remember one day he got on the second rope, took his shoe off and hit somebody in the head with the heel of his shoe. And he loved that because it brought back memories. And uh, when he went to the WWE at the time, he thought he was going to be able to build on that and have fun. And they basically told him, you know, you're not going to speak. You're going to just blow this whistle. You know, we don't want you to take any bumps or get hurt. We don't want you to interfere with any matches or anything. So he felt he was just like this guy just standing there. He really didn't have anything to offer. So I, I don't think uh, it turned out the way he wanted it to. I think he had a different idea when he started. It's really unfortunate because I think if he had been able to do more of what was really he was all about, he could have been a more successful character. And, and he had good talent to work with, uh, especially with Kurt Henning and and. It's just, a, you know, and then course, uh, what I'm going to do is encourage people to go on YouTube. You know, I have the master tapes, the LaBelle and the Shire, but uh, go back to whatever interviews you can find. I would suggest the 1973 where uh, John Tolis as a heel, he turned back heel in the hair versus hair match with Victor Rivera. They were both baby faces. But when your dad lost the match, this was like March of 1973. And then he attacks you know, goes nuts, attacks Victor Rivera after his head is shaved by Jimmy Lennon, our incredible ring announcer. Uh, then he got the nickname from Dick Lane, uh, who was our major KCOP TV announcer, Maniac. And that's when they kind of uh, pushed the Golden Greek part aside. And it was always being introduced as Maniac John Tolis. Uh, but the interview he did where he's like picking up, it, it was like one of the longest promos he ever did, about 14 minutes, a whole segment before commercial break taking a bite out of different uh, Hispanic, Mexican foods, enchiladas, burritos, tacos, and spitting it out and criticizing each one of them. And now you couldn't do it, not PC, but it was really all off the cuff, not a uh and you know in it, you just straight toeless promo. And it's pretty incredible. I don't know if Evan got to see it, but uh, or any of the stuff with Blassie, but you know, a lot of that uh, is only straight audio because at the time we didn't have VCRs. So from like 1969, 70 on, we just tape them on a reel to reel cassette. But that's the interview stuff. That's the stuff, not any of the WWF crap or even the Herb Abrams junk or the California Championship Wrestling when your dad was managing Toru Tanaka. But Ev, let me, uh, gotta, we gotta get some great more questions in here. I remember. When he came in to wrestle Bruno in New York, he, he does a promo and he called Bruno a spaghetti bender. 
And those were fighting words back then. <laughs> it was great. It was great. So, um, yeah. He and, knew how to bring the heat on. That was for sure. Oh, yeah. He oh, yeah. Well, Chris, have you heard? What? Let's hear what you think. And maybe did you ever talk to your dad about his interview style? Because he could yell and scream when he was a heel or even when he was a, when he was a baby face. It was different, particularly 72. He turned baby face quite a few times. But 72 was the very first time for he and your uncle. And John kind of stopped screaming. And instead of, you know, yelling and screaming, he would say, is America's title belt? He would say, this is the people's belt. It's not my belt. But have you, you must have heard a lot of your interviews, the classic ones where he's yelling and screaming. What did you think? And did you guys talk about any of that? Or I know he was like one of the to break tape. So he probably never smartened you up. I don't. I don't know if he ever did smarten you up. You know, I uh, I didn't I didn't go watch him wrestle too much. Like I said, I'd stay in the locker room, and part of it was I didn't like to watch him wrestle. Uh, it always it always bothered me, and I think just for for that reason, I remember I was ringside once, and he finished the match. He beat a wrestler. I think it was Butcher Brannigan, and he came to me. And he said, open your hand. And I opened my hand. He put something in it. And he's all, hold on to these for me. And I opened my hand and it was his four lower teeth. He had a bridge. He had him knocked out in the match. And he didn't well, want to lose them. So he, uh, he gave them to me. <laughs> that was a funny, uh, funny memory. It's funny how the old memories come back. But in terms of Interviews and stuff. I honestly didn't see too many interviews. You know, he was he was very protective. Uh, I didn't see too much of uh, the yelling and the screaming at all. I mean, very very minimal, to be honest with you. Because it was state of the art stuff he was doing then. This was way before Ric Flair, and the stuff particularly with Blassie, the two masters. You know, that had histories going back decades before they, they were. Uh, on top in Los Angeles, but even the interviews your dad had with the the sheik, the real sheik, Sabu's uncle, with uh, well, Ernie Roth was not the Grand Wizard; he was Abdullah Farouk, that other character of his, or superstar Billy Graham, or Ernie Ladd, who could go toe to toe with your dad speaking. Ev, I think you must have seen, and a lot of that, Chris, is on YouTube. But Ev, let me throw back to you. I, I just want to throw this out. Um, Mike can tell you that. In L.A., which was, you know, pretty much your dad's home base for much of his career, um, they erased the tapes. They taped over the tapes every week. So there is not mountains and mountains of footage of your father. And his career peaked, you know, well before Hulkamania in the uh, 80s. And so how would you like to see your dad remembered because um, as far as we're concerned, he's one of the all time greats, but the average fan today, you know, may not even be aware of his career. Unfortunately, how would you like to see your dad remembered? You know, I, I kind of like him to be remembered as somebody that, you know, kind of broke barriers in a way in the way he, he spoke in the, the way he, he played his characters. I mean, he was so passionate about the profession and he did so much for the profession. 
And and that's actually the sad part because yes, that always bothered him that you know there weren't really many videos, so nobody really knew who he was outside of the people that kind of saw him in Los Angeles or saw the old TV or whatever. But I, I wish there was a way to kind of bring it back, you know, so people could see how it started, how all these guys, you know, they you watch the wrestlers now and and they're, you know, the way they talk and all and people think, oh, my gosh, what a great talker, what a great talker. But there were so many great ones before them. It's just I, I wish somebody could bring that up so people could become educated of the whole history of wrestling, you know, how it progressed and who started what and where it began and do you, well, that's what that's what our book is going to do your dad was one of the very first to use catchphrases like his infamous he used this whether it was a face or heel i'm going to get you and i'm going to get you good he this is before dwayne johnson or steve austin stone cold your dad was the very first well more than a decade before jake roberts ever brought a snake to the ring he brought his surprise box and out pops the snake not Versus Rocky Johnson, but against Tolis, the, the uh, whatever it was, a 16-foot reticulated python. That was what was in this box that he kept wheeling out, this big, tall, vertical wooden box. And then finally at the Olympic Auditorium for their big match. Against Blassie. Against Blassie. And uh, your, John, your dad had a lot of other firsts. You know, he invented the Roman Gladiator death match. It was the first match I can recall before they had the later chain and... Uh, uh, dog collar matches where you would like take the guy's head and hit it on all four corners and then you would win. But the first guy to do that in a creative match was uh, John's match in 1970, Roman Gladiator death match, which he did against a number of people, not just Blassie, Neil Moscaris, Black Gordon, etc. So that's what the book is going to do. Let me ask quickly, uh, and then I'll throw back to Evan to end with his questions. The movie Grunt, we just lost Adrian Street a little over a week, week and a half ago. But he co-starred with your dad. It was like the lead build villain. Did you go to the set, you and your mom, Ingrid, uh, to the set of Grunt? Or what was that experience, if you can remember? I think the taping was like 83 for that thing. Yeah, if I remember, I did go. Uh, one day uh, we went. And I, I can't remember who if it was Steve Strong that got me a little gig as an extra. And they dressed me up as like a Pepsi salesperson walking through the crowds with my little tray of Pepsis as the battle royal was going on. But I, I do remember that. And I remember, I don't remember, I just remember meeting Steve Strong there. But I know there were some other wrestlers. And uh, Danny Spivey, I think, was another one very nice guy that I met there, too. But, do you watch wrestling now, Chris? I'm sorry? Do you watch, do you watch wrestling? I do not, no. Okay. No, no. When was the last time you watched it? I, uh, I mean, uh, I, I shouldn't say I don't watch it. I'll flip the channels and it'll be there for a second and then I'll move on because it just, it's, it's not what it used to be. I would say I was into it big time probably in the 80s with the, the Hulkamaniacs. And then probably when Steve Austin came around, I'd watch it a little bit. And then probably when The Rock was younger, I watched a little bit. But by then, I, it, it came to an end after that. Yeah. My, my dad didn't even enjoy watching it. My uncle didn't enjoy watching it. Neither one were really into it at all. Well, come in just during the 70 on, uh, on Friday. All right. Let, we, we, only, we only have X amount of time. Let me throw to Evan. Evan, I'm going to let you have all the questions now. Um, Chris, um, 
I practice Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga, go to the gym, etc. People have to move and you have to move in all different directions. You know, people just get caught up in moving one direction, whether it be jogging on a treadmill, riding a bike or whatever. It, you can't do it. You have to be able to move in all different directions. That's, that's and that's why like the Tai Chi and everything is so valuable because you are challenging your body and moving in different directions. My, my Tai Chi teacher is 85 years old. He's practiced 70 years. He's, he looks like Mr. Saito. He could kill you with his bare hands. So, <laughs> so um, I, I highly recommend Tai Chi, Qigong and yoga. And of course the gym and try to walk seven to 10,000 steps a day. The best exercise you can do is the exercise you're doing or doing some type of exercise basically. Or the exercise, the best, sorry, the best exercise you can do is the exercise you can stick to. There's a better way to say it. <laughs> yeah, Makes a lot of sense, absolutely. Evan, ask him about uh, his grandparents, his uh, John and Chris's mom and dad what your relationship might have been with your grandma and grandpa on the Tola side. So uh, by the time I came around, my grandfather had passed away. Uh, but I did get to know my grandmother. My grandmother made it to 102 years old. Wow. Yeah. And, and she was sharp as a whip. I mean, it, it was amazing. But uh, my grandfather, I know, worked as a uh, he worked in a tobacco factory he was a tobacco blender and then became a foreman and then my grandmother was a, a house mom taking care of the the three kids and uh it was it was actually funny because i just talked to their sister mary about it and the, the parents were not too thrilled about their kids becoming professional wrestlers my grandma used to tell me she was hoping for a doctor and a lawyer <laughs> she got two wrestlers Wow. What were your grandparents' names? Uh, Nick and Evangeline. Evangeline with an E or I'm guessing E-V. Wow. And and Chris, do you still have a lot of connection with the country of Greece? Do you go back and visit at all? or? I do go back on vacation, but no, no family there anymore. They've all they've all moved. Where where was the Tolis family originally? Was it uh, Corfu or Mykonos? Where were they exactly? If you it was it was actually uh, if I remember correctly, it was Volos. Volos, wow. Volos on the mainland there in northern Greece. Very interesting. Well, yeah. Um, I, yeah do you have any other uh, uh, final questions, uh, Evan, that you'd like to ask Chris or Mike? Do you have anything that you'd like to ask? What's your fondest memory of your dad, if you have one or two that come to mind? You know, I, I honestly have to say, I, I mentioned it earlier, when we used to actually go at it in the middle of the health club, in the gym, I mean, it was so much fun because he would play it to the hilt. I mean, it was, it was hilarious. Th those are actually just fun memories. And just kind of hanging out in the pool and him, uh, when I was a little league pitcher, memories of him basically climbing the fence on the backstop, screaming and cheering me on. He, he was bigger than life, you know, whether it was in the ring or whether sometimes it was just in normal life, he would be bigger than life. There you go, Mike. 
And he was, a, I, I think Blassie passed on the curse of being obsessed with tanning. Your dad, I know, every spare minute, you know, be in the wrestler's private parking lot at the Olympic and other venues like El Monte, et cetera, he would go out there with like, uh, the Sheik, Ed Farhat, got him one of these things where it's like a, a mirror thing to help, you know, when the sun's out, you're kind of like reflecting even more of the sun on your skin. Now, of course, it'd be super dangerous. And I don't know if he had any skin issues, but I mean, when he come over to the Dawson house, Mark and Gary's house in Beverly Hills, uh, he, he was just all about tanning. And your dad also was a, a jogger. Was it a jogger or running? Did he? he was a jogger. Jogger. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I'll tell you, both he and his brother were always dark. Always. I mean, they were just sun worshippers. It was incredible. And then I guess with the Greek skin, you know, it just they just got darker and darker and darker and darker. But they both uh, they both loved it. They could spend days out there in the sun. It's great. So anyway, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, Chris, you were awesome. I really, really appreciate it. We're going to do a great job. And Ev, I know you'll agree with me. He wants the story of his dad told. I think we're going to do a hell of a job. We, we hope we do good by you. We're certainly going to try. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, seeing it. <laughs> One anytime day. you want to come back on the show and talk about your father, you're more than welcome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. And again, thank you for inviting me. Had a great time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Right, we'll thank see you. everyone next week. Good night, everyone. Oh, before we leave, oh, just yeah. memory of my dad. What's the only way to spell wrestling? T-O-L-O-S. All right. <laughs> do, you, do you want to plug your business? Feel free. Well, no, we weren't going to do that. We might cut out the fact, uh, because I don't want any nut job historian fans contacting Chris. Oh, okay. But are there... Chris, do you have any charities or anything that you'd like to, to plug or send people to? Uh, no, nothing that I can think of offhand. All right, well, that's that's fine. Oh, let me ask one last thing. Did your dad have any family coda or saying that he kind of lived his life by? Was there any kind of thing that you recall, you know, that your dad would, like, re repetitively say about life or whatever? Uh... You can email it if, if it's, you know. Yeah, I'll have to think about it. I think, it's, I think it's that when you think of wrestling, think T-O-L-O-S. <laughs> well, that was, yeah. I mean, he was doing that since like the, the 50s, the only way to spell wrestling. And the other thing they did, particularly that was so cool when they came in 72 as faces, but in the 50s, when they first started teaming his heels all over the place, all over the country, Florida, New York was... Uh, John would say something and he'd go, right, Brother Chris? And Chris would go, you're absolutely right, Brother John. And they would do this back and forth. They did it everywhere, all across Canada, the U.S. But really, for us, we loved hearing it in L.A. when there were baby faces and the place was going nuts for them instead of throwing trash at them and screaming at them. Your dad was a tremendous performer and entertainer. And we thank you very much for, for being here tonight. All right. Good Thanks, night, Chris. everyone. We'll see you next week. Good night, you guys. Good night. I appreciate it.